all these impossibly long names. (laughs) Sorry, me again. Page 7, Genesis 5, starting at verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah, and he said, He will comfort us in the labour and painful toil of our hands, caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters, Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. 
The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, thanks, Claire. Morning, all. Uh, nice to see you. It'd uh, be great to keep that passage open. It'll be uh, quite useful to see some of the patterns in it today. So let me pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, even lists of names, uh, which we sometimes find confusing. We pray that you would speak to us by your spirit today as we look at these words. We pray that you'd show us uh, more of your glory Uh, but more of the truths of ourselves, and show us how to respond rightly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, chapter 5, where we've reached, is uh, is actually, uh, probably originally, actually a separate book. Uh, So that phrase right at the beginning, this is written, literally means uh, the book of. Uh, And this is a book of people, human history, uh, from here on in, uh, all the way through Genesis. Uh, And the book before, end of chapter 4, ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, God's very good creation is tainted by disobedience and sin of Adam and Eve. Uh, Evil and uh, sin has entered the world. And indeed, chapter 4, even murder has now become a thing with Cain killing his brother Abel. Sin seems to lead to more sin. So, uh, what now? The end of chapter 4, just have a look at that. Uh, Hints, perhaps, there's hope. Uh, Verse 26, Uh, Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. But, as we read the genealogy of Adam's family line here in chapter 5, it's clear that the consequences and the attitudes towards sin don't change. And despite uh, the very long lives that they lived back then, the message is clear. Sin will not be tolerated indefinitely by God. So verse 5, Adam lived and then he died. Verse 8, Seth lived and then he died. Verse 11, Enosh lived and then he died. Verse 14, Kenan lived and then he died. Verse 17, Mahalel lived and then he died. Verse 20, Jared lived and then he died. Uh, They all have life. They all have sons and daughters in those verses as well, but they all die. Uh, genealogies in the Bible don't normally emphasize that each person died. I mean, it's, it's in a sense obvious to us, but, but this is the point here. It, it's a model that we'll be reminded about of all of life. Sin won't be tolerated indefinitely. We will die. Uh, the existence of sin in the world and in our lives will not go unnoticed by God. Death is coming to us all. Uh, Think back to the promise God made to Adam and Eve before the fall in chapter 2. It's on the screen, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat uh, eat from it, you will certainly die. Uh, In a world of death, it's actually very easy to feel overwhelmed, isn't it? I've actually had a number of people in the last few weeks and months uh, say how they feel overwhelmed 
by the state of our current world. Death is everywhere. There's war in Ukraine that goes on and on. Israel and Gaza bringing untold misery. There's countless wars and uh, over territory and disputes across our globe that are barely reported in our news. It's natural disasters and floods and earthquakes and freak weather across the planet causing death and injury and misery. Uh, poverty and or, or poor living conditions in many countries across our globe. Some sat here will have friends and family at home finding normal life a daily reminder of death knocking at the door. Or perhaps close relatives of ours are facing terminal illness or having died themselves. Death is coming to us all. And while death is not usually linked to uh, directly, uh, proportionally to a person's personal sin, death is linked to the general state of humanity, who are described in these verses as being wicked, evil, rebellious, uh, mankind who is against the Lord God, who showed them love. Our current situations may not be a tit-for-tat judgment on our personal sin, but without exception, we are all sinners before a holy and good God. And so death will come our way. It's our rightful inheritance. We deserve it because of our sin. Our sin is very bad. Theologians call it total depravity. Have a look at verse 5 and 6. To see a bit more of that. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. I know it's nice to think that we as humans, we're, we're not really that bad, are we? Uh, And and of course, uh, the very vast majority of people across our entire planet and world, at a human level, are quite pleasant. Uh, They're not out to be horrifically horrible uh, or even unkind to you, uh, nor I trust are we to them. Uh, It's easy to pick up on the racist or the murderer or the selfish or the arrogant power chaser who moves everyone out of his way to get what he wants and think, well, I'm pretty good really. And thankfully, compared to most of those people, we are. But we are blind to the depth of our sinfulness and our depravity towards God. It's why the Bible's so helpful, isn't it, when, when we read it. I mean, Eve just gave her husband an apple. That's, that's not a terrible thing. She's a pretty good person. But in the context of a God who has given them everything, every good thing, and one simple command not to eat from that one tree, well, it's far from loving to God or to her husband, Adam. Uh, We don't have to be murderers like Cain in chapter 4 to know that before God, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. Every inclination, only evil, all the time. Total depravity before God. Any self-serving rather than God-serving act or thought, even sharing an apple, finds its deep roots in the depravity of our relationship that is now in tatters with the good God of all. 
and we will die. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, What's also interesting in this passage, yet sad, is that we're also helpless to help ourselves. Uh, You might think that after Adam and Eve were banished from the provision of the garden, that they might uh, do all that they could to honour and serve the Lord God, uh, to raise their children to do the same. Uh, And yet we've already seen Cain murders his brother in jealousy. Uh, We might think at the end of chapter 4, the the first book as it were, as we've already said, that the, 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 the signs of hope, that mankind might return to the Lord. They've, they've started to call on him. And yet after a long list of names, whom all die, suggesting things don't improve, we get what appears to be a fundamental failing of both fallen angels and humans taking place. Chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be numbered a hundred and twenty. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, the men of renown. Uh, The sons of God here are normally, uh, generally taken to be angels who join Satan in the fall, choosing themselves over God. Uh, It's the definition of evil, isn't it? To choose ourselves over our creator. Uh, There's some debate that perhaps the sons of God are children of Seth, Uh, But the normal reading uh, in the Old Testament would indicate we're talking about angels and it would make sense of their special name. Their children are given between humans and God's sons. Uh, But the implication is something has gone terribly wrong. Either way, however we take it. Uh, The children in these relationships are Nephilim. Well, they may have been heroes of their day, but what is clear is they are not heroes in God's sight. They, along with almost all the rest of humanity, are about to be wiped from the face of the earth in the Great Flood. And mankind now perhaps looks to earthly heroes rather than our heavenly one. Sin breeds sin, is the picture. Entertain a little bit of sin and it it snowballs into a lot. Ignore God a little... And you ignore him a lot. Mankind goes from bad to worse. And they cannot make their way back to God. It gets so bad that we get a, a, a personal reflection from God himself given in human feelings. Verse 5 of chapter 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Of course, we've seen as we've been going through Genesis that God is in complete control 
This is not some kind of terrible disaster that he didn't know was going to happen or wasn't prepared for. He doesn't regret like we regret when something that is outside of our control goes wrong. But here he uses very human language so that we truly appreciate the darkness of sin and that we cannot help ourselves. The point, of course, being is that we deserve the death that's coming our way. We deserve to be wiped from the face of the earth. It's the only right thing for God to do. He looks upon his creation and says, I regret what is here. Who can blame him? No one. Sin, evil, wickedness, of which we're all guilty... Um, which none of us are able to bring ourselves back to God by our own strength, well, we deserve judgment from God. God regrets the pain of our sin. Do we think of it like that? Here they're given 120 years to live. Uh, That might be a general judgment on humanity, uh, that gone are the days where God will allow people to sin for 900-odd years on the earth. You'll now be limited to 120 Sin can't go on indefinitely. Uh, be like a, a, speeding, a speed limit. It limits, limits the damage you can cause. Uh, it might actually just be a, a 120 years from this time of prophecy to the judgment coming of the flood. Uh, it's not completely clear. But given that people after the flood don't live as long as they did before, and given that it's near impossible for any human still today to live beyond 120 I take it to be a judgment of a shortened lifespan. Sin will not indefinitely be tolerated by God. So, what do we make of all of this? Well, firstly, I think we should hate our sin. How do do we view our lives? How do we view who we are? As a generally good person who tends to be nice to people? Well, maybe. Good. But before God... Certainly not. Our sin grieves our Lord God. If we're not believers in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, then literally every inclination of our thoughts, of our hearts, is only evil all of the time. We have turned away from the glorious God of grace and spat in his face at every turn. What if we're a Christian? We believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Well, the the clue's there. We need his forgiveness. And sadly, we're not really much better in and of ourselves. Uh, Paul in the New Testament puts it like this, Romans 7, 18 to 21. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. He's writing as a Christian. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good... But I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do, sorry, if I do, if now if I do not what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. The difference is now we have our eyes open to our sin, don't we? Seems to be Paul's predicament. 
I now see my sinful nature, but I can't always do the right thing. Even in our desires to do God's will, we keep finding we do evil. Paul continues, verse 22, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Friends, do we take our sin seriously? Do we repent and cry out to God for mercy? Do we abhor the very sight of our evil nature? Do we know that death is our reminder that our nature deserves and is facing this? And that God regrets our sin. I find it very easy to dismiss the seriousness of sin. Easier to ignore it than face it. Isn't that what every human has done since Adam has done? Well, it wasn't me, it was her. It wasn't me, it was a snake. So what hope is there? Is death and God's judgment the only possible inevitability for us? Well, it should be. Scan down chapter 5 again. And you'll see, and he died, 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 and he died. But there's a surprise right down towards the end of the list. Enoch, verse 21, it's striking. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Well, so far it's almost the same, but there's a walking going on here. And then verse 24, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. He's like a shining star in a very dark, cloudy night. Everyone else dies. But Enoch avoids death and gets taken to be with the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 11 speaks of this exact account. It's on the screen, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. He pleased God. He had faith. Perhaps there is hope. But wait, back in the genealogy, God's about to wipe out of all of humanity. Verse 7, the Lord said, I'll wipe wipe from the face of the earth uh, the human race I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move. I regret that I've made them. Yet, verse 8, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. In the next couple of verses, Noah's described as also walking with the Lord. In the depth of our evil and our wickedness that causes God to describe himself as regretting ever even creating us, there's signs of life. There's signs of hope. There's signs of salvation, as we'll see next week with Noah. God finds and places favour on one person here and there. 
These are not perfect people. We'll discover from Noah's life as we go through Genesis that he's not a perfect man. But they do walk with, they, they follow, they find favour from God. Uh, R.C. Riley, 1900s uh, Bishop of Liverpool, puts it this way, What is the whole story of God's saints in every age but a record of men and women who obtain a good report by faith? God shows favour to those of faith. We cannot save ourselves, but God, as we'll see next week with Noah, chooses to save us. After Paul declares his wretchedness, what a wretched man I am, and his desire to do good, but he keeps finding a sinful nature causing him to do evil, what does he declare? Verse 25, back into Romans, Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we hate our sin, and we love Jesus. Do you feel the weight and the depth of your sin? Well, the more you do, the more glorious Jesus becomes. And wonderfully, we are freed from the guilt of our sin in Christ. Whilst our sinful nature is not yet fully dead, Christ enters his heart by our spirit, so that when God looks down upon us, he looks so with favour. For by Christ we walk with him. We will still physically die, our sinful nature has to die, but we will not die spiritually if we have our trust in the Lord Jesus for his mercy. Jesus will be the focus of God's attention when he looks upon us. He will not see our sin, for we have been paid for by Christ on the cross. He will look on us with favour. This is a great mystery. Uh, and in God's sovereignty of, over evil and salvation. But we must trust it glorifies God. Later on in Romans, Paul describes this mystery between God being sovereign over evil and our responsibility of sin and him being glorified through it all as he looks down on us for, with favour through the lens of Jesus Christ. Romans 11.32, we read, For God has bound everyone over to disobedience, so that he may have mercy on them all. Diminishing our disobedience as serious actually diminishes God's mercy. When we're overwhelmed by the world around us, we're to remember, we're to be reminded that God takes sin very seriously. And we're to call for his favour in Christ to be found in his people. When we're honest with ourselves and see the depravity of our hearts. When we don't take it lightly, when we lament, we cry, what a wretched person I am. But remember in Christ that we're free to enjoy favour from God. You see, diminishing our sin diminishes Jesus. But seeing the full weight of our sin raises up Jesus in our eyes. A passage like this motivates us to hate, to fight, to avoid, to stand up under, to desire to flee our sin. It causes us to lament and to cry in repentance and ask God for his mercy. And wonderfully it elevates the Lord Jesus and his amazing grace 
and his goodness to us so that when God looks upon those who have their trust in Jesus, he does so with favor. And that is a wonderful thing. As John writes in John 3.30, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Let's pray. Have a moment of quiet. Our great and glorious Father, we praise you that you are a good and glorious, just, merciful, good, loving God. Forgive us of our sins as we've prayed already this morning in our confession. Allow us to see the weight of our sin so that we may see the true glory and grace and mercy of Jesus. Allow him to become greater and us to become less. Amen.